0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Deller.
2: This is Harry Branson at Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company.
1: Oh, hi, Harry. What's on your mind?
2: I have a case for you, a very important one. Good. Tell me about it. John, did you ever hear of Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote? Lord, who... Say that slowly, will you? Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote. Sorry, I left my kilts and bagpipes on the other side of the drink.
0: Huh? Oh. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm feeling real sharp this morning. But what about this Laird Douglas Douglas something or other? Uh, can you come down here to Philadelphia and see me? I hate to be so blunt about it, old boy, but what's in it for me? A nice retainer fee in any event. Well, good. And, of course, expenses and your regular commission if anything happens to Laird Douglas Douglas. Of Heatherscote. Uh, why, yes. Okay, Harry, I'm on my way. Oh, oh John. Yeah? Yeah? Come down by plane, will you? The first one you can get. Urgent, huh? Yes, John. Very.
1: Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar. To Harry Branson at the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Hetherscoat matter. Whoever Laird Douglas Douglas is. And whether investigation is the proper term at this point, who knows. In any event, well... Expense account item one, 2250. air transportation and miscellaneous, Hartford to New York to Philadelphia. For a change, I decided to stay at the Benjamin Franklin, not only because it was convenient to Harry Branson's office on Walnut Street, that is, the office of Philly Mutual Liability and Casualty, but because I'd heard it was a nice hotel. It was. And it was convenient to everything else in the center of town. Theaters, good restaurants, nice stores, even a nightclub. Well, anyhow, when I got to my room, I found a half dozen urgent messages that Harry had called. Pretty good indication that his lordship, Douglas Douglas, of, or at least this case, was pretty important. So instead of bothering to unpack, I had the bellboy dump my luggage, tipped him, and was standing there debating whether I'd better forego a quick shower and change of clothes when the phone rang. Johnny Dollar. John, didn't you get my messages? Why haven't you called? I've been waiting to hear from you. What's wrong? Hey, take it easy, Harry. I just this minute got in. Oh. Well, I hope you're coming right on over here to my office. What's the matter? Something happened to this client of yours? No, not yet. But being you, you're expecting the worst, huh? And look, you still haven't told me a thing about this emergency, or whatever you want to call it. John, it is an emergency, because of the time element. You see, oh, why do we waste time on the phone? Well, this was your call, not mine. All right, all right, I'm sorry. I'll be waiting for you. And Harry, I'll be there. <laughs> Still knowing nothing whatsoever about what was going on, I decided I'd better be prepared for anything. So I slipped the thirty-eight Colt out of my bag and took it along. Expense account item two, 65 cents, cab fare. I've said it before when I handled the Amerigo case for him, Harry Branson is a good insurance man, but a worrywart. So I kind of hoped he was making the usual mountain out of the usual molehill this time. However, when my cab pulled up in front of his office building, he was standing waiting on the sidewalk out front. Hey, I keep the change. Thank you, sir. John, John, what took you so long? Huh? Thank goodness you're here. Harry, what are you doing out here? Lose your office or just forget the key? I almost wish I had. John, we have a problem. A serious one. Yeah, with Laird Douglas, Douglas of, uh... Heatherscoat, Heatherscoat, he's up in my office now. sounds like international intrigue. Has Scotland declared war on us or something? This is no time for levity. He's up in the office now, and you must take over immediately. It's a very serious situation. Come. Okay. Well, now, what's it all about? Has Laird Douglas died and... Oh, no, no, you said he was up in your office. And I'm sure you don't mean just his body. Yes, he's there with Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pytten. Kelly Van... Huh? Are you kidding? I certainly am not. You see, she insists that you act as his bodyguard. Oh, now, wait a minute, Harry. Unfortunately, or rather fortunately for you... Thirteenth floor, please. Yes, sir. Unfortunately... I said 13th floor operator. Please, quickly. Yes, sir. So, Harry? Unfo- Young man, will you please start this elevator immediately? Gotta
3: wait for the signal, sir.
2: Signal? This is an emergency. Take off! Immediately! Emergency? Yes, it involves Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope. Oh, well, sure, if it's. Who? Good man, good man. <sighs> okay. Now, you were saying, Harry. Uh, was I? Uh, unfortunately, something. Oh, oh, yes, of course. Fortunately for you, she was quite cognizant of the fact... Who was cognizant? Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Python. She knew about the excellent work you did for us in connection with the Ricardo Amarigo case not long ago. Excellent detective work, she called it.
1: 13th
2: floor. You remember the case, Ricardo, the concert violinist who disappeared, presumably. Yeah, mattered. I remember. And your almost intuitive deduction that he wasn't dead at all, but had merely staged the whole thing to make it uh, look uh, as the... Harry. Um, oh, yes, of course. 13th floor. You mean uh, Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van... Vamp-
3: Excuse me, mister, but I'm getting signals from the other floors.
2: Quite right, you should. As I started to say, John, she is one of our biggest personal policy holders. Good, good, but uh, hadn't we better get into your office and meet her? Oh, yes, yes, but I want you to know about the personal premiums. Alone, they run to something over twenty thousand dollars a year. Mister, please. Well, she is an important client. Yes, yes, and that's why I—Mister William, I didn't please? hesitate to accede to her request that you be called in on this case. I called you, and here you are. Mister, please. Hmm? Oh, well, get us up to the. Th- oh, oh, we're here. Why didn't you tell us? Come, John. Mister, if I was to tell you what I'd like to, I. My office is right this way, John. Come, please. Hey, look, you better calm down, Harry, and give me the dope on this case right from the beginning. Yes. Yes, I'd better. All right. Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyton is a very important client, has been for years. So you said. But there are a lot of things you haven't said, like uh, what has she got to do with this Laird Douglas character, and why is he so important? It's this way, John. The policy on him runs to $5,000. No double indemnity, which is good. As a matter of fact, the policy on him was purely a favor to Mrs. Kelly Van Pytten. You know, considering some short life expectancy and all. No, I don't know. Is he in his dotage or something? Well, hardly. Or are you being facetious again? But you say... Hey, how old is he? His birthday is next month, May 7th to be exact. He'll be four years old. Four? That's right. Short life expectancy? Of course, you see, John. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, some horrible disease or something, huh? What's the matter with him? John, you wanted this from the beginning, so I'll give it to you from the beginning. Okay, but Harry... If it Harry... hadn't been for Mrs. Van Pytton's own policies totaling something in the neighborhood of half a million, uh, more, in fact... Harry... Why, we'd never have written the one on Lord Douglas Douglas of Heatherstone. So, now we've cleared that Harry, up. Harry, we passed your office three or four doors ago. Hmm? Oh, yes. Yeah. But, uh, as I'm sure you understand, I wanted to give you some of the background before you talk with Mrs. Van Pytton. After all... You asked for it. Yes, yes, I guess I did. But uh, what you've given me so far has landed me smack dab in the department of utter confusion. And I'm beginning to think maybe I have company.
0: Oh, where?
2: Who? Right here. You, Harry. Now, look. Why don't we quietly stroll into your office and let me get the whole thing from Mrs. Kelly Van Pytten herself? Or better still, from Laird Douglas Douglas.
0: But you couldn't.
2: Of course not. What? At least not from him. Why not? John. Will you please stop joking? Who's joking? This is serious business, very. Look, Harry. Yes? There is one thing I'd like to talk over before we go in to see him. Them, somebody. Yes? Well, apparently the life and or welfare of this Laird Douglas Douglas is in danger. Oh, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. I thought I'd made that very clear to you. Yeah, well, you said you've written only a $5,000 policy on him. That's right, $5,000. And purely yeah, as a... Yeah, yeah, I know all about that. Now, look, I don't want to seem crass about it, Harry, but my commission, if anything were to happen to him, wouldn't amount to a hill of beans. Which is precisely why I told you you will be paid a retainer while you're on the case. A most generous one. A generous one? By you? By Mrs. Kelly Van Pyton. How much? Well, John... Now, mind you, this may not require your services for more than a week or so. As bodyguard, that is. How much? And, of course, she has authorized an expense account. Ah. But, mind you, John, not the usual kind that you seem to have the knack of piling up beyond all reason. Clearly, a completely honest, legitimate accounting... Harry, that. how much? But as a matter of cold fact, I have assured her that it will total no more than the amount of the retainer she is prepared to pay you. Any more than that, and, uh... Well, you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Harry, how much is this retainer to be, if I take the case? I might even go so far... $750 per week, or a fraction thereof, and I am sure you will agree that that... What's the matter, John? $750 a week, plus expenses, when there's only a $5,000 policy involved? That's right. But if this four-year-old Laird Douglas Douglas of... of, of, of... Heather's scope. Yeah. If he's only worth a $5,000 policy what was that crack about short-life expectancy? John, I told you, he is already four years old. Oh, look, start all over again, will you, Harry? Yes. No, on second thought, perhaps you were right. Perhaps you'd better get the details directly from Mrs. Peter... Malcolm Malcolm Kelly Kelly Van Python, Python. I know. Now, look, Harry, I I think I'd better. I'd better get it from somebody. You're not... Incidentally, John, you understand, of course, that your services will be required only during the affair at Bala Kinwood. And not one minute thereafter... No, I don't understand. What's Bala Kinwood... around Westchester, outside the city, one of the suburbs. Very nice suburb, too. That is where Leah Douglas Douglas... I'll have this Yes, John, that is where he will appear. And you or Mrs. Kelly Van Puyden, or both, if you think his life will be in danger. Exactly. Oh, John, I knew you were just joking me all the time. I wish I knew. Uh, Here we are, and... Everything will be clear yeah. Oh,
4: thank heavens, dear Mr. Branson. I was afraid something had happened to you. You were gone so long, you really had me quite worried. Oh, I'm
2: so sorry, but I had hoped to tell Mr. Dollar something of this affair, and I'm afraid we loitered on the way up. Uh, Mrs. Kelly Van Pyton, this is Mr. John Dollar.
4: Oh, you wonderful, wonderful man. I'm so glad that you've agreed to take on this assignment. You see, Laird Douglas Douglas means everything to me. And I have the utmost confidence in you. I'm sure Laird Douglas will, too.
2: Well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, But where is he? Uh, Why, yes, Mrs. Van Pytton. What's happened to him?
4: Oh, don't worry. Don't worry, my dear. He's all right. But after all, he is so temperamental. I fear he got a bit impatient waiting for you. And I know you'll forgive him. You will, won't you?
0: Yes, yes, of course, but where is he?
4: He's asleep, Mr. Branson, in your inner office. He sat down in your chair and fell fast asleep. Oh, if I could only relax that way. But you must meet him, Mr. Dollar.
2: Yes, I'd certainly like to.
4: Of course you would, and I know he'll want to meet you. Gently now. Oh, good, he's awake.
2: Oh, no. That's Laird...
4: Laird Douglas, Douglas of Heatherscoat. This is Mr. Johnny Dollar. Hey! Holy jumping! Hey! Douglas, Douglas, no! Let go of Mr. Dollar's leg! Douglas, dear! Douglas!
1: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's, uh, intriguing? Well, tomorrow's episode of this week's story. Tomorrow? Well, I've handled
2: some pretty doggy cases in my time, but never as a pooch's bodyguard. But suddenly this one begins to smell much too strongly of murder. Join us, won't you?
1: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Ray Rowland,
2: Johnny. Oh, hi, Ray.
1: Just got your message. What are you doing in
2: Philadelphia? Oh, a case for filling mutual liability and casualty. And I may need your help. What do you know about Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote? Why,
1: he's one of Scotland's finest. Wait a minute. That's your case? Yep. Insurance?
2: And bodyguard. How's about lunch?
1: Johnny, have you met the... Have you met
2: his lairdship? Yeah, and I nearly lost a leg doing it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, shut up.
1: Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company in connection with my investigation, or rather my involvement in the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heather'scote matter. And I wish I'd had some idea of what I was getting into before I ever left Hartford. But it's too late now. Expense account item 3, 3950. One pair of slacks. For within a few minutes of my arrival in Philadelphia, Harry Branson of Philly Mutual buttonholed me and dragged me up to his office to meet two important clients he had. First was Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyton.
4: Oh, you wonderful, wonderful man. I am so glad that you've agreed to take on this assignment. Laird Douglas Douglas means everything to me, and I have the utmost confidence in you. I'm sure Laird Douglas will, too.
2: And then came... Well, Mrs. Van Pyton made the introduction.
4: Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope. This is Mr. Johnny Dollar,
2: huh? Oh, no. Oh, oh, holy jump Douglas, the-
3: oh, no, so you mustn't do that. Oh, my. Douglas oh, dear, good
2: heavens. Get oh, on your own, chair, Harry. This no, one's taken. No. Sorry, John, sorry.
4: Down, Douglas, down. Oh. There, dear, that's the boy. That's a nice boy. That yes, That is now. Laird
2: Douglas Douglas of Hediscope?
4: Yes, isn't he adorable? He's so playful. He was really just playing, you know. There, dear, come down.
2: Harry. So yes, John? This oh, is the that's client so you call me all the way down from Hartford to see? Yes, John, yes. $7.50 a week, practically unlimited expense account. Oh,
4: dear, just look at your trousers, Mr. Dollar. I
2: don't need to, thanks. I can feel the draft.
4: But you'll need new ones. Here. And I insist you let me pay for them. Down, oh, oh, Douglas, oh, oh. down. Here, Mr. Dollar. Will a hundred dollars be enough?
2: Uh, geez.
4: No, here, 150. I can see those were very, very nice ones. Well, uh, you see what I
2: mean, John? Here,
4: please. Now, I insist you take it. And if it isn't no, enough... No, no,
2: no, no, thanks. That's funny. But now, Harry, you listen John, to me. I know what you're going to say, but as I explained to you on the way up you here to You explained plenty, but not nearly enough. But I tried. I really tried. I think boys. you and I had better have a quiet little talk, Harry, and the sooner the better. Oh,
4: boys, please, can't you do that another time? Please come down from those chairs so Mr. Dollar can meet Douglas and we can make all the arrangements. Please?
2: Mrs. Van Pytten, that's precisely what I want to talk about.
4: (laughs) You really look very funny up there. And see, Douglas does want so much to be friends with you.
2: Yeah, you're sure it isn't a piece of my leg he wants.
4: Oh, no, of course not. Here, Mr. Dollar, just give him one of these biscuits. I have them specially baked for him. And he'll be your friend for life. Really? Huh? Here. Now just come down and hand it to him.
2: Well, He'll love you. It's true, Jot. I know. Yeah? Then what are you doing up on that chair? I I forgot, that's all. Nice, Douglas. Huh? Please,
4: Mr. Dollar.
2: Well, you know, all I hope is he doesn't forget.
4: That's right. Just hand it and to that him. And then he
2: knows which is biscuit and which is my hand. Yo, uh, here, boy. Here, boy. Now, take it easy, take it easy.
4: Oh. <laughs> there, you see! Now he's your friend, well, isn't that sweet?
2: Yeah, yeah sure is. Well, well, I'd better get back to my hotel and change, and Harry, I'll call you. Oh,
4: but we haven't made the definite arrangements yet, and i want you staying out at our place in Germantown, the Maples. It's a lovely little place, Mr. Dollar. Well,
2: much as I hate to say it, I'm, I'm not quite sure about taking oh, this. Oh, I know.
4: The money. Well, don't you worry about it? Not at all. Not one bit. If you'd rather have a thousand dollars a week, that's what we'll make it. And I do wish Mrs. you let Van me Python. do more about these poor trousers. I know. Why don't you go straight over to Wanamaker's men's store and have them tailor you a whole suit? Wouldn't that be nice? You'd look lovely. You've to...
2: already given me more than enough oh, to buy a suit. that.
4: Now, just forget it. Now, you have them make you anything you want and just charge it to me. Oh, and look! Douglas, here is is licking your hand.
2: I knew he'd like you. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of a woman, somebody once said. Or maybe they should have said never underestimate the power of a fast buck or a thousand bucks. Anyhow, Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Python had set her heart on my handling this whole affair, and she simply wasn't to be denied. Couple that with a chance to pick up enough loot in a few days to, uh, well, what would you do? And the darn mutt did take a liking to me. So, with Laird Douglas Douglas in my lap... Oh, he's a Scotty, by the way.
4: Scottish Terrier, Mr. Dollar. If you'll pardon my
2: correcting you. Sorry.
4: And it's all because of the show at Bala Kinwid on Friday.
2: Bala Uh, B-A-L-A-C-Y-N-W-I-D, John.
4: Yes, Bala Kinwid. Laird Douglas Douglas simply must win. Not only best of class, but best of show. And he will... If somebody doesn't interfere.
2: Oh, you uh, you think somebody might uh, might do something to to uh, Douglas? Here? I'm sure of it, because it's been tried before. You mean <laughs> poison him or something like that? Worse.
4: Oh? Dope. Poison would let him die a hero, a martyr. But drugs would keep him from winning the show.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, what makes you suspect somebody might try it?
4: As I said, it's been tried before. Huh? Last year and again a few days ago. And if Harrison R. Kenworthy thinks he can do it again, he's mistaken. Then
2: you know who did it before.
4: I refuse to divulge any names.
2: But you just said... Mr.
4: Dollar, I will not tell you. All I ask is that you watch over Laird Douglas Douglas until he has won the show. Oh, and if he does win, as I'm sure he will, I'll insist that you accept a nice bonus. So you can see, I'm very, very serious.
2: And so it went on for another half hour or so, and finally she left, after I'd promised to pick up my bags at the hotel and move out to her joint in fashionable Germantown. I talked a few minutes longer with Harry Branson. I'm so glad you've agreed to take this on, John. As I told you, Mrs. Van Pytton is the most important individual policyholder we have, and doing this favor for us... Harry, it's not the mutt show at Bala Kinwood or Laird Douglas or Mrs. Kelly Van Pytton or you I'm doing this for. It's purely love of the green stuff. Phew. That old dame must be really loaded. John, she has so much money. She, well, she doesn't know how much she has. Industrial empire, that sort of thing. All right, all right. But, Harry, if word ever gets around in the trade that I came down here to play bodyguard to a mutt, so help me, I'll have your head. <clears throat> yes. Uh, but now, hadn't you better go on out to the Maples? Well, first, I want to know about this Harrison R. Kenworthy, she mentioned. Oh, that. Yeah, that. She accused him of doping up her Scotty. Well, she really doesn't know, and it, it's really quite complicated. What do you mean? Kenworthy owns a beautiful Kerry Blue Terrier, Lady O'Diddy's on me Lady o- Holy cats, and no pun. Why can't they give an honest dog an honest name? Look, we'll call her Mimi. Go
1: ahead. Hi, Dog lovers.
2: Ray, just in time. Meet Harry Branson. Ray Roland. Oh, we know each other.
1: Hello, Harry boy. Mr. Roland. Sure. Harry called me in last year when these two dogs were at each other's. Of course, throat. he
2: doesn't mean that literally, John. You see, Mr. Roland is quite an authority on show animals. I've held it against him for years, ever since school. Well, there's no need to hold it against him. And particularly, I don't mean see. that literally. Oh.
1: Well, John Boy, so you came down to help yourself to a handful of dear Mrs. Kelly, Vian Payton's coin. More power to you. I knew Harry would call you in on the case. Felt it in my bones. And, brother, you may be in deeper than you think. Oh,
2: what's that supposed to mean, Ray?
1: Has Harry told you about the villain of the piece, Harrison R. Kenworthy? I
2: was just starting to when you so rudely... Yeah,
1: well, Johnny, the whole setup is a riot, but just remember one thing. Yeah? A lot of people have been killed in riots.
2: Now, what's that supposed to mean? I'll tell you what he means, Let son. me he tell mean... it,
1: Harry, it would take you all day. Sorry, no offense. All right, go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. Okay, Bella Kinwit is the biggest event of the year in the doggy set, okay? Okay. All right, Mrs. Kelly Van Pyton owns Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope. Real fine Scotty. Yeah,
2: good teeth, see?
1: Hey, those pants are really gone. Anyhow, Harrison Kenworthy owns Lady O'Diddy's Rolomar Meme, Carrie Blue. Meme. Huh? I'd get indigestion trying to say that other name. Okay, Mimi. Meme. They're two pretty good dogs, especially Mimi. International championship blood and all that. But Mimi's the better dog. Douglas won't stand a chance. I've tried to tell her this, but... Well, go on, go on. Okay. Harrison Kenworthy loves Kelly Van Pyton, see? Oh, loves her money. Him? He's loaded, too. No, I think the old coot really loves her, and I think she loves him. Right, Harry?
2: Yes, I think I'm inclined to... Right, but...
1: Now, get this. Yeah? She won't marry him until her Laird Douglas beats his Lady Odiddy, uh, uh Mimi, yeah. far and square at the Bala Kinwood Show. How do you like that? Are you kidding?
2: Oh, no, John, it's an accepted right. fact. Right, so what happens for over a wait year? Wait a minute, now... Ray, wait a minute. If he really wants to marry her, why doesn't
1: he just let her dog beat his? And let her be one up on him right from the start? Never. No, boy, he'd never live it down. You don't know these people. Well, this is about the craziest thing I ever heard of. To you and me, sure, but to them, it's deadly serious.
2: Are they in love with each other or with their dogs?
1: Well, it's not just love where the dogs are concerned, but pride, which is just about all a lot of these old, lonely millionaires have to think about to live for. Yea, sometimes even unto the fifth and sixth generations. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll take your word for it. But
2: now she said something about her dog being doped at the show last year. Oh, yes, John. You see, it was just a couple of days... Right, things...
1: just before the finals. It was an attempt to murder the dog with poison. But emergency care both times pulled Laird Douglas through. She told me it was only some kind of a dope that oh, was Oh, sure, sure. We kept the truth from her. You don't realize it, boy, but if that dog were to die, she would. Fact. Oh, now, Ray... Oh,
2: yes, John, and the insurance company must keep that dog alive in order to obviate having to pay right. off the. Right. <laughs> yeah After all, her policies amount to... a Right.
1: It may sound absurd to you, Johnny, but it's no joke. As I said, you don't know these people. But look, it still doesn't make any sense. You just have to take my word for it, and it's happened right here in Philadelphia. Yes, John, and we held the policy. It was an old lady... Right, right so there you have it.
2: (sighs) Okay, okay, I'll, I'll believe you. And so the finger points at Harrison and
1: Well, she might like to think that, uh, especially since she doesn't know that poison was used both times, but I don't. What's more, the police feel the same.
2: Oh, now, if you say police dogs, I'll slug you. John, there are times when this sense right, of humor of Harry, yours... Right, dead
1: right, and I do mean dead. No, in all seriousness, Johnny, if I were you, I'd duck out of this assignment.
2: Now, don't say that, Ray, unless John... No, no, it... no, go, go ahead and say it. Something
1: ought to start to make sense around All here. All right, listen. The reason I'm sure Harrison R. Kenworthy had nothing to do with the attempted poisonings, the reason the police were called in, the reason I think you ought well, to you get, get out you get to of the this. point, Ray? On each occasion, Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten had a bodyguard attending Laird Douglas, in addition to the dog's governess, medicos, and so get on... Get to the point. Each time, in order for the poisoner to get to that dog... Ray, door, please. Each time, the bodyguard was murdered. Still want this case, Johnny? Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow? Well, the joke's no longer a
2: joke. Especially when a killer trains his sights on me. Join us, won't you?
1: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
2: Lieutenant Steve Howard, Homicide. I found word to call you there at your hotel. Right. I'm an insurance investigator, Lieutenant, and... Yeah, I've heard of you. Uh, Can I help you? Well, I understand you're the man who handled a murder case at the Bala-Kinwood dog show last year. That's right.
1: Uh, We're still working on
2: it. Oh, fine. Like to look over the setup for an attempted murder?
1: Uh Oh? Who? Me. Stay right there, Mr. Dollar. Tonight, and every weekday night... Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote matter. And at this point, that name is no joke. Expense account item three, 70 cents, cab fare, from the office of Harry Branson to my hotel. It was at Harry's office that I got the craziest assignment I'd ever taken. Bodyguard to Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote, who turned out to be a dog. And I mean that literally... A purebred Scottish terrier who rated high enough and dogged him for somebody to make a couple of attempts on his life. Right now, it looked like somebody wanted me to be next. Uh, What's all this talk about an attempt on your life? Here, Lieutenant. Take a look at this handbag of mine. Huh? Wait, don't touch it. Huh? I left it here on this little luggage stand about an hour ago, right after I checked in. Only before I left it, I opened it and took out my gun. So? So when I got back, just before I called you, I found the bag as you see it now, locked again. Oh, now, look here, Mr. Yeah, I know, I know. But if a chambermaid had been in here, there would have been other signs. You know, bed turned down, fresh towels in the bath, things like that. Boy, you're a suspicious man. You sure you didn't lock it yourself after taking your gun I'm sure. Anyhow, instead of opening it, I started to pick it up to put it on the bed to unpack. Here, now, you lift it. Why? Because it weighs close to 25 pounds, and that's too much for nothing but an extra suit, a few shirts and shorts, some handkerchiefs and the like. You check with the desk? No callers that they know about. Well, let me see. Yeah, that is pretty heavy. And it doesn't tick. Now, look here. Yeah? Do you see where somebody on the fire escape used a pry bar to shove this window open? Well oh, yeah. And yeah, those marks are fresh. Very fresh. Operator. Get me Central Police. Expense account item four. Check for $29.50 to the nearest Bond clothing store for one pair of trousers to replace those torn by Laird Douglas Douglas of what's-his-name when I'd first met him in Harry's office. Item five, phone call to Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyton.
4: Well, don't you worry, Mr. Dollar. If you're delayed, you're delayed. We'll just expect you here at the Maples when you get here. Your suite is all ready and waiting for you.
2: I'll be there as soon as I can.
4: Oh, I do hope you've had a suit made to replace those trousers, little Laird Douglas Tor.
2: Why don't you have a couple of suits made and just charge them to me? Thanks. Maybe I'll get around to that. Goodbye, Mrs. Van Puyten. First of all, I had to know what Lieutenant Howard found out about the suitcase he'd had his lab crew pick up. I took a taxi to headquarters. That's item 8, 65 cents. I'm glad to see you, Dollar. Sit down. Well, what'd you find out? Dollar, that bag of yours had enough soup in it to blow out half the side of your hotel. Oh, then I was right. Yeah, professional job, too. Straight wire rig that would have gone off when you opened the bag. Brother, I guess my lucky star is in the Ascendant. <sighs> what made you suspect a booby trap, Dollar? Last year and a few days ago, somebody tried to poison a dog. Well do I know. Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscoat, Blue Ribbon Scotty, belonging to Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly. Malcolm Kelly, Kel- Van Python, yeah. Right. Apparently, the whole reason for it was to keep the pooch from winning the best of show at the annual dog festival, or whatever you want to call it, out at Bella So I've heard. I think it was more than that. Oh, wait a minute. Now, don't tell me you subscribe to the idea that if the dog were to die, Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten would probably kick off, too. No question about it. <sighs> okay. Well, you don't know her yet, or you wouldn't be so skeptical. Her whole life revolves about that dog. And her money, of course. Now, from what I've seen, she just throws that away. Of course she does. At least in small quantities, you know, a thousand or two here or there, or even a hundred thousand to some school or library or something where it'll show. But even that's only a drop in the bucket to her. Lieutenant, I don't quite see what you're driving at. Well, she is one of the remnants of a class in this country, fast dying out, thank goodness, that for generations has been cultured and conditioned into thinking that money is everything, that their whole destiny is to control vast industries, lands, railroads, oil, shipping, and people. People, Dollar by means of their sheer financial prowess. But I thought our present tax situation... Yeah, sure, their day is almost done, but the few who are still around, like Mrs. Kelly Van Pytten, are hanging on for dear life, trying to add to their power. (laughs) Hey, Steve, you make a sweet, gabby, eccentric old lady sound like an ogre. She is, no question. I'm sure she doesn't realize it. Simply because this whole attitude has been so thoroughly ingrained into her all her life? That's right. Oh, well, we'll see. Yeah, you'll see. Well, look, let's get to the point. Who do you think might be trying to get rid of the old lady? I haven't the least idea. Well, uh, no family? Relatives? Only living relative is her nephew, Warren Staley. Ah. Nothing. You sure? Haven't been able to pin a thing on him. Where can I find this Warren Staley? At the Maples. He lives there with her, huh? Yep. And you're sure he would be her only beneficiary? Yep. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. Good luck, Dollar. Lieutenant Howard seemed to know what he was talking about. Nonetheless, I decided that the nephew, Warren Staley, would at least be a start. And the sooner I could move in at the Maples, the better. Item 9, 780, cab fares, back to my hotel and out to the Maples in the suburb of Germantown. When I first saw the place, I could hardly believe my eyes. It looked like a regular castle perched atop a small hill. Even the gatehouse, nearly half a mile from the mansion, was big enough to house several families. But the mansion itself, Wow. A rather stuffy-looking butler, after practically climbing up my family tree, escorted me to the reading room. Mrs. Kelly Van Pyton and guess who? <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> oh! Easy now, Doug. Oh, Mr. Dollar,
4: I'm so glad you're here. And look, he remembers you. Yeah, it is. Isn't that sweet? a yeah,
2: <laughs> boy, Doug. Easy oh, now.
4: and please call him Douglas. Huh? After all, the name Doug sounds so common, doesn't it?
2: Oh, you really think he cares, Mrs. Van Pytten?
4: Oh, you're joking, aren't you? Mr. Branson said you had quite a sense of humor. Uh, Now, did Hastings show you to your suite?
2: The butler? No, but he took my things.
4: Then I'll show you. I'm sure you'll love it and be quite comfortable. This way, please.
2: Yes. Uh, You coming, Doug? Uh, Douglas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. boy.
4: Do you see how happy he is having you here? I am too, Mr. Duller. Now we just... Oh, Warren, darling.
3: Huh? Hello, Santa.
4: Mr. Dollar, this is my little nephew, Warren Staley.
2: Warren was 25 or so, bright, good-looking, and well but comfortably dressed. And at Mrs. Van Pytten's orders, he took me up to my suite. Living room, study, breakfast room, bath, and bedroom. And it's still occupied only a small part of the second floor.
3: Now, here next to you are Dougie's rooms. Wow. One for sleeping and one for eating. Can you tie that? A dining room for a dog. And uh, through that door is Mademoiselle Poirot, his uh, governess. She feeds and bathes him.
2: And that's a full-time job?
3: Oh, sure. Most pampered dog in the country.
2: Brother, I'll go with you on that.
3: No doubt Tonto will ask you to keep this connecting door open at night.
2: Hey, sit down a minute, Warren. I'd like to talk to you.
3: Sure. I hope you're impressed by all this. Are you kidding? <laughs> Tonto will love you dearly. Say, would you like a drink? There's a cellarette here for your convenience. Oh,
2: sure. Scotch and soda.
3: Good. Rather foolish, though, isn't it? All of it. What do you mean? Oh, it's such nonsense to keep up an estate like this just to keep face, so to speak.
2: Well, she can afford it, can't she? Are you kidding? You sound as though you don't enjoy this life of luxury.
3: Yeah, here's a drink. Enforced luxury to keep up the honor of the family. And I resent it. Oh. Without ever having to lift a finger, do an honest day's work. When she's gone, I'll be one of the wealthiest men in the
2: country. That's bad, huh? Do
3: you think it's strange that a fellow would like to stand on his own feet for a change, make something of himself, by himself?
2: Well, why not just pack up and leave? (laughs) You don't know Tata? No, I guess I don't.
3: Oh, it's really more than that. I'm the only member of this family left, aside from Tata.
2: So I understand.
3: I'm the only one left to carry on the Van Pytten Empire. They drink up.
2: Wait a minute. Branson used that term, too.
3: Yes, Empire. Not only enough security to sink a battleship, but controlling rights in steel, utilities, and most important of all, East Morland oil. I see. And what's most important about that is that I'll survive to keep control of East Morland from Kenworthy.
2: Harrison R. Kenworthy.
3: Yeah? Yeah. There's been a battle over East Morland oil for for generations between the Van Pythons and the Kenworthys. Say, tell me, does Kenworthy have any heirs? One. His son, Ronald. I see. What sort of a fellow was he? Good friend of mine. We waste a lot of our time together. Oh, uh, drink up, Mr. Dowler. I'm ready for another, and you haven't even touched yours. Yeah,
2: well, listen. I'm going to lay some cards on the table. Sure. Somebody's been trying to get at Laird Douglas, the dog. Presumably, as a way of getting at your aunt.
3: It's true. If anything would have happened to little Dougie... Okay,
2: okay. I'll take your word for it. Now, because of the intense rivalry between your aunt and Kenworthy... Or rather, between Laird Douglas and his pup, Lady O'Diddy's Mimmy, or whatever her name is. Anyway, Kenworthy should be number one suspect.
3: When you know him, you'll cross him off your list.
2: So Lieutenant Howard has told me. But, uh, go on. All right, all right. As sole beneficiary of the Van Pytten Empire, as you call it, you come in as fast number two on the list. I can understand that. But unless everything you've told me is a fancy fairy tale to throw me off, then... Every... everything I've told you is... It's true, Mr. Dollar. Hey, what's the I, matter with you? Nothing. Go on. Okay. And mind you, Warren, I'm not forgetting for a minute that there's been a couple of murders involved in this whole screwy business, plus an attempt on my own life. attempt on... on your... Dollar? Hey, hey, what gives you... Are you plastering on a little over one no, drink? No, listen
3: to me. I know. Now I know, and I... I can tell you, Dollar. Tell me what? The answer. The, the whole thing.
2: Dollar! Warren! What's the matter with you? I can't.
3: I can't breathe. Hey, you're Warren! Me- drink meant for you. Don't touch.
2: He died without another sound. I carefully sniffed the drink that had been poured for me, gingerly tasted it. Nothing. Nothing that I could spot. Yeah, poor Warren had probably been right. Whatever it was had no doubt been meant for me.
1: Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story.
2: Tomorrow, things and people finally begin to line up on the case. Just well enough for it to blow sky high. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
2: Lieutenant Howard, homicide. Oh, hi, Steve. Hi. As you know, I've given orders for you to be confined to your suite out there at the Maples until I can get some of the lap crew out there. You don't think I murdered Warren Staley? Apparently, you were the only one who was with him when he died. Now, look here. I'm the one who's kept even the family out of here. What's more important, you're the only one on the whole estate who might be trusted to keep things intact. Any
1: possible evidence... So, please don't leave your room.
2: Okay, diplomat, I'll sit tight.
1: Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Expense account, or rather report, submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in connection with my investigation of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscoat matter. No need to itemize expenses at this point, because there are none. The magnificent suite in which I'm parked, out at the sumptuous mansion of Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyton, is fine except for the body of young Warren Staley, Mrs. Van Pytten's nephew, draped over the arm of the easy chair in which he died a few minutes ago. I'd called Lieutenant Howard at homicide on the phone in my room immediately, and within minutes, the nearest patrolman was stationed outside my door, refusing admittance even to the lady of the house. After all, this was the third murder that tied up with the Scottish Terrier who started all this, Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote. While waiting for Lieutenant Howard and his crew, I shaved, showered, and changed my clothes. Then about ten minutes later. Well, Dollar, Lieutenant. Well, ah. see what you mean. Yeah. He seemed like a nice kid too. He's all yours, Doctor. Go right
3: ahead. Very well, Lieutenant. Here, Paul, just sit. Okay, for pictures, Lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. Go
2: right ahead, Sergeant. Okay. Excuse me, Doc. Hey, get okay, Dollar. Let's have it. What happened? Well, Warren brought me up here himself, and I sat him down to ask him some questions. You suspected him, didn't you, in spite of what I told you? Sure. as sole beneficiary of the Van Pytten Estate Empire, as he called it. Yeah, well, what do you think now? But you were right... That he was clean. Anyhow... My
0: boy, my poor darling Warren, where is he? No, take
4: your hands off me. My uh, boy Just a minute, Mr. Van No, you can't keep me out. This is well, look, my own house and this is my own uh, yes, nephew, I, I'm my sorry, boy. but you'll have to
2: wait until we can get oh, everything clear. Oh, this terrible,
4: I'm, terrible
0: that that happen. Just, happen. Wait until we finish just a minute, Lieutenant. Oh, hey,
2: oh, whoa, young fellow, hold on a minute. Who are you? Johnny
0: Dollar, who are you? Ronald Kenworthy, his best friend. What happened to him? He was poisoned. Poisoned? Where were you? How could a thing like this happen if you were doing Oh,
2: Ronnie, just calm down a minute. How long have you been here in the house?
0: Why, half, three quarters of an hour, something like that. But I don't see... Where? Where were you? I was down in the reading room with Mrs. Van Pytten.
2: All the time?
0: Then out in the garden. Alone? Yes, except for a few minutes while I talked to Hastings, the butler out there. What were you doing in the garden? I was on my way up here by the back way to see Warren. I've always used the back staircase from the garden ever since we were kids together. This suite of rooms used to be our playroom, ever since I can remember. All right, all right. Go on with what you were saying. Well, then about that time, or a few minutes later, I don't know exactly, I heard the police car come screaming up the driveway. That was the first that any of us, Mrs. Van Puyten or Hastings or I, that any of us knew that something was wrong, that something had happened to Warren. But now look here, Mr. Dollar, uh, I can don't... All
2: with you, you two. What? You'll have to leave with Mrs. Van Puyten until we're thrown here. Oh,
4: please, Ronald, help me, help me. Well,
2: but I... Go ahead, Ronnie, go ahead.
4: <laughs> all right.
2: Oh,
0: come on, you poor...
2: Ah, poor old dame. Sorry for her. You finding anything, Doc?
3: Yes, I think so. I certainly think so. Be with you in a minute.
2: All right. You better go on with what you were saying, Dollar. Well, not much more to say, Lieutenant. Warren felt the same way you do, that Branson at the insurance company does. If anything happened to the dog, Laird Douglas, it'd be the end of Mrs. Van Pyton. That the murders of the dog's handlers, caretakers, were purely incidental to attempts on the dog's life. But... But what? Well, he apparently was as concerned over this whole thing as we've been. Said he had a very strong theory about who might be back of all this. Who did he tell you? He was about to when this, whatever it was, hit him.
3: Well, I'll tell you what it was, Lieutenant.
2: Yeah, Doc. Oh, uh, this is Mr. Dollar. Oh, Mr. Dollar.
3: Norphic acid. Same thing that killed the two dog handlers and was used on the dog itself. I can tell without further examination. Wait a minute, Doc. Wait a minute.
2: If the dog got the same thing that killed a couple of grown men...
3: A dog with a much more sensitive stomach, unused to all the strong food and drinks the human stomach is constantly abused with, a dog would immediately regurgitate and retain only a minute amount of the panorphic acid. I see. In the case of Warren Staley here, it was added to the Scotch whiskey he drank. Traces of it in his glass and
2: in a full glass beside your chair. Well, Doc, have you checked those bottles in the cellar, I'm right? uh,
3: Just about to. Uh,
2: which uh, bottle did he pour that out of, darling? The one right next to that bottle of V.O. there. Wait a minute. This isn't the same bottle. What? The one he poured from was half empty. This is nearly full. Hey, now, what's the matter with you boys? You let somebody switch bottles a minute ago? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nobody else came in here besides Mrs. Van Payton and young Kenworthy? Hastings the butler, but he just stood in the doorway.
3: That's right, Lieutenant.
2: Yet somehow, between the time Warren Staley poured those drinks and now, somebody switched bottles. Unless you're wrong about this, Dollar.
3: No sign of the poison in this one, Lieutenant. It's the only scotch bottle.
2: You've been here in the room all this time, Dollar? Yeah, sure. And in the bath. I shaved and showered and dressed while waiting for you to get here. But only after one of your men came and parked outside the door. Well, where does this door lead to? Well, it's the dog's quarters. Two rooms. Oh, I see. Come on, Dollar. You might wait for us.
3: Yeah, I I'll be
1: here. What about that door beyond? Oh,
2: that. Mademoiselle Poirot, the dog's governess. Well, where was she? How should I know? I didn't even meet her. I... Hey, no, wait. Oh, wait. oh. Wait. oh. Wait. Ah, the folly's is Yeah, I, I guess I should have knocked.
4: Who are you? Why, you come in this way while I'm dressed myself? Uh,
2: uh, sorry, mademoiselle, we're the police.
4: Police? What have I done that you should see me this way? Well,
2: nothing, ma'am, nothing. But, but how long have you been there in your room?
4: I came in the back way to change my clothes.
2: Yeah, that was obvious.
4: It's my day off. I have big dates.
2: Well, not now you haven't. Get dressed and I'll send an officer in to escort you downstairs. Come on, darling.
4: No, you cannot do this to me. I've done nothing wrong. You cannot make me stay here.
2: Say, Pete, send somebody around the back way to cover the governess and take her downstairs for questioning.
3: Yes, sir. Hey,
2: And Johnny, looks like you goofed. Hmm? While you were showering, somebody came in through her room through the dog's quarters and did the bottle switch on us. Oh, well, then we're even. Yeah, we're... What? You have very carefully must up any fingerprints that might have been on those doorknobs. Oh. Uh. Jerry, see if you can get any prints off those doorknobs back there. Right. If I haven't wrecked them. But, Johnny, if I didn't know about you and your reputation, I'd peg this on you so fast, you'd... You haven't been holding out on me, have you? I assured him that I hadn't, then went downstairs to the monstrous living room and sat in while we went through a routine questioning of everyone in the household. I even went through the motions of bodyguarding the dog that had started all this and tried to console Mrs. Van Pytten. Results of the questioning? Nothing, darling, nothing. No leads. Yeah, so I noticed. The two previous murders of the dogs, caretakers or bodyguards, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, well, same poison was used then. In their food as well as the dog. But why? Why, Steve? Why? Why they? To keep them from helping Laird Douglas when it hit him? Well, more likely because those handlers had got wind of the attempt to poison the dog and suspected who was trying to do it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. See, there's one thing you're overlooking, darling. What's that? The intended victim of this last poisoning was not Warren Staley. But you... Oh, brother, I'm not overlooking that for one second. Yeah, and that's why I asked you if you were holding out anything on me. Because it would indicate that you have a lead. Or at least suspicion about someone. Sure, sure, I got a lot of suspicions. Ronald Kenworthy, his old man. The butler, heaven help us. Even Mrs. Van Python. (laughs) Maybe even you, Steve. But when it comes to evidence. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, I've got work to do. Looking for the proverbial needle in a haystack was nothing... ...compared to hunting for the poison bottle of scotch... ...that was no doubt stashed away somewhere. Far, far into the night, a regular army of policemen... ...probed and dug and poked around. They opened drawers and closets and cabinets... ...pounded on walls looking for sliding panels and secret compartments... ...went through the trash, sifted a trash heap... ...dug up any freshly turned earth they could find on the grounds even climbed trees. Yeah, they prowled through attics and basements looked everywhere. Result? Nothing. Meanwhile, I stayed close to Mrs. Van Pytten. And I'll say this for her. In spite of her almost silly infatuation with that dog, she showed real strength of character. We sat alone together in the reading room.
4: I know, Mr. Dollar. There's nothing I can do to bring Warren back. Therefore, there's no point in simply sitting here weeping over him.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true.
4: But it isn't easy because it meant more. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: I, um... I want to ask you some things, Mrs. Van Puyton. I suppose this is the wrong time, but I...
4: No, ask me, Mr. Dollar. I think I know what you want to ask, and now, now that this last terrible thing has happened, I hope, I, I pray that I can help you.
2: Well, I had quite a talk with Warren before he died.
4: Oh, oh, I, I'm glad.
2: Warren would have been the sole heir to the Van Pytton estate.
4: Yes, he alone would have carried the honor, the prestige of the family after my passing. Oh, no. Surely who didn't think that he could have been behind those other terrible murders? Quite
2: frankly, at first I did. But he told me something else, and it's bothered me. About Mr. Kenworthy and his son.
4: Ronald? No, Mr. Dollar. He was supposed to be Warren's best friend.
2: You said supposed to be.
4: Well, I I Warren don't... made it
2: very clear that if the Kenworthys could have somehow acquire the Van Python holdings, either by Mr. Kenworthy marrying you.
4: I have told Harrison R. Kenworthy... Yes, I know.
2: If Laird Douglas wins the show from his Kerry blue terrier, you'll marry him. Yes. And I still think it's a screwy idea. But the fact remains it's fairly true. It's
4: quite true.
2: Neither you nor Mr. Kenworthy has too many years ahead, if you'll forgive me.
4: Mr. Dollar, what... So there's
2: now only one person left to benefit by the death of Laird Douglas, of Warren, of you, and ultimately of Mr. Kenworthy.
4: Good heavens, Mr. Dollar. That's
2: right. Ronald Kenworthy. Well?
4: I know. I know it.
0: I think you've said enough, Mr. Dollar. Ronald. Yes, I heard it all. Mr. Dollar, I think you've said too much for... Shall we say your health?
1: Now, here's our star to tell you about the final intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, all
2: cards are laid on the table. And believe me, the deck proves to have been stacked right from the beginning. Tomorrow, the wind up. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny
1: Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
0: Ronald Kenworthy, Mr. Dollar. Good,
2: I want to talk to you. Are you at your home? I am. And after the Okay, way you... then stay right there and I'll be able to see you.
0: Why don't you send the police instead?
2: What's that supposed to mean?
0: A few minutes ago in Mrs. Van Puyten's library, before you kicked me out, you practically accused me of the murder of her
2: nephew. Did I? Well, didn't you? Didn't you? All right, Ronnie, just calm down and stay put until I can get over there.
0: (laughs) You mean you aren't afraid I might try to take a powder, as you high-handed detectives like to put it? You mean you aren't worried that... Uh...
1: Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Following is the final report in my investigation of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heather's matter. The whole case started out almost as a lark when I discovered that I'd come to Philadelphia to act as bodyguard to Laird Douglas Douglas and for a fat fee and virtually unlimited expense accounts. Me, bodyguard to a dog but it ceased to be funny when I learned that the dog's two previous caretakers had been murdered and when, only a few hours ago, an attempt was made on my life that ended with the death of young Warren Staley.
4: Yes, Mr. Dollar, I see. I guess I was so upset by the death of my nephew that I I didn't realize the attempt was really made on your life.
2: The second attempt, Mrs. Van Pytten. What? Shortly after I arrived in Philadelphia, somebody planted a booby trap in my suitcase in my hotel room.
4: Good heavens, No. And you think that Ronald Kenworthy did that, too?
2: Well, what do you think?
4: Well, yes. Now that poor dear Warren is gone, there's nothing to prevent the Kenworthy estate from achieving control of the Van Pytten Holdings. That is, if I were to die. Go on. Upon the death of Harrison Kenworthy, the whole financial empire would be inherited by his son, Ronald. So I understand. Ronald... And he would be the wealthiest, the most powerful man financially in the United States. Ronald, who pretended to be Warren's best friend. Who pretended to love me. It's a terrible thought, isn't it?
2: Apparently adds up, though, doesn't it?
4: There is no question of it. But what evidence have you? None yet. Well, then I'll help you get it. And I can do it, Mr. Mr. Dollar. I may appear to be only a wealthy, foolish old woman who dotes on her pet, Laird Douglas. But I'm not. I'm astute, shrewd, and clever. Since Peter, my husband, died, I alone have managed this estate, this financial empire. I use the word again. With my money, with my... Oh, yes, I can do it, Mr. Dollar. And Ronald will be made to pay for these terrible things that he has done.
2: I, uh, I admire your confidence. Nothing.
4: No one can stand in my way. You'll see. I'm only sorry that a few minutes ago you didn't keep him here, make him face it.
2: I'm going to see him now. Oh, where? At his home. I understand the estate adjoins this one.
4: Yes. But please, look out for him. Shoot first, Mr. Duller. What? Because now he may act like the cornered rat that he is.
2: I decided to walk across to the Kenworthy estate... in the hope the fresh air would help clear my thoughts. Logical as it all seemed, I didn't like what i just heard. Then luck, pure, unadulterated luck. As I walked across the broad lawn between the main house and the gatehouse... I passed the garage building with its Rolls-Royce, two Cadillacs and a station wagon. And then I saw him, Andy LaFord, alias Andrew Fortune, alias Andrew Ford... one of the cleverest second-story men in the country... with a record on the west coast as long as your arm a man who would do anything for money. He was idly going through the motion of dusting off a car. I walked past quickly, not sure whether he'd notice me or not. I hope not. For it was one of his ilk who'd had to plant the booby trap in my hotel room, who could have slipped the poison into the liquor that killed Warren Staley. I turned in at the gatekeeper's house. Uh, Mr. Dollar, I saw you at the question... I want to telephone, you, quick. Uh, uh, right here, sir. Is something Thanks. wrong? Thanks. Operator, get me Central Police. Emergency. Good heavens, Mr. Dollar. something. The man there happened? in the garage, polishing cars. Uh, Andy? How long has he been here? Oh, a year more. Ever since the dog show at Valley Kid. Oh, what does he do? Year. Oh, the driving for Mrs. Van Payton, but something gone... Hello? To... Give me Lieutenant Howard. Homicide. Ah! After warning the old gatekeeper that I'd have his head if he said anything to anyone about my phone call, I left by the back door and went over to the Kenworthy mansion where young Ronald was waiting for me.
0: I must say, before we go any further, that I resent the way you ordered me out of the Van Python house a few minutes ago. Yeah? Well, I'm sorry. Whether you suspect me or expect me to help you in this case, it was like. To... you knew Warren Staley. Very well. We were the closest of friends, confident. All right. Just how much did he really care about the Van Python estate? Fortune, whatever you want to call it. To put it bluntly, he wanted none of it. And I'm afraid his aunt rather resented it. Why do you say that? Because her whole life she's been obsessed by an almost overwhelming lust for power. When Warren finally rebelled against this, she tried not to show it, but she hated him for it. Unlike my father. Oh? I feel as Warren felt. And my father and I together have been laying the groundwork for dissipating the Kenworthy estate into corporate setups that will benefit many instead of just us. Does that sound strange to you? It sounds like true philanthropy, if you mean it. You must believe me, it is, and I do mean it. Oh, I won't suffer, of course. I'll still retain some control here and there, but I'll have to work at it. Instead of just carrying on the tradition of the idle rich, I'll be a man.
2: I hope you're telling me the truth, Ronnie. I believe you are, and I'd like to meet your father.
0: You will. Needless to say, it was much harder for him to break from this tradition of financial power than for me. So perhaps you can see why I admire him above all other men. Anything else? I'll see you later.
4: I was worried about you, Mr. Dollar, going over there to see Ronald Kenworthy alone after all that has happened.
2: Yes, you should have been, Mrs. Van Pytten. Especially if you noticed that I passed by the garage on the way. What? I happened to notice someone there, and I think it answered a lot of questions for me. It was Andy Laforte.
4: Andrew? My private chauffeur?
2: Is that all he is?
4: Do you know him, Mr. Dollar?
2: Look. I took on this case, Mrs. Van Pytten, because you offered me a fee too good to be turned down and an almost unlimited expense account.
4: You haven't answered me. I
2: should have got wise then and there, but I thought your great passion for your dog was just an amusing foible of an immensely wealthy, kind of foolish old lady.
4: (laughs) Oh, Laird Douglas is a dear one, isn't he? Why, Mr. Dollar...
2: Let me add things up. A few minutes ago, you told me that thanks to your wealth and a very sharp, clever mind, you'd let nothing stand in the way of anything you chose to do.
4: Please, Mr. Dollar, I don't think I understand. All right.
2: You made a contract with Harrison Kenworthy that you'd marry him when and if Laird Douglas beat that pup of his at the dog show. An apparently silly sort of thing, yet everybody believed it. But the real reason for marriage to him was solely to acquire control of his holdings, increase this financial empire of yours. Very subtle. Kept you looking like a cute, whimsical old lady.
4: Why, this is the most absurd thing I ever heard of.
2: So I thought at first, but let me go on. Oh, please do. When you realized that Laird Douglas wasn't ready to beat that dog of his, rather than admit defeat, rather than lose the chance to make this marriage, you ordered the murder of the dog's handlers. Then the contract was still in force, just delayed.
4: I won't listen to such terrible things.
2: You'll listen whether you like it or not. You learned that Kenworthy and his son were planning to dissipate their fortune and thereby put it beyond your reach. Mr. On Dollar... top of this, your own nephew, Warren, wanted to do the same with your estate. This was too much.
4: What you have said is too much.
2: Then, by the time I arrive, you learned from an expert, Ray Rowland, that your dog would never stand a chance against Kenworthy's. So you wouldn't dare let him compete. At least until you'd hooked Kenworthy some other way... And part of your whole scheme was to build up evidence of attempts against you. Through the dog, of course. Though I'll bet you actually hate the mutt. No, that's not true. Anyhow, from the moment I talked to Ray Rowland, I was only in the way. So you tried to get rid of me. Had somebody booby-trap my luggage. You have no proof. Andy Laforte, this so-called chauffeur of yours, would do anything for money. And I fully intend to break him down and make him admit you hired him as a killer. Listen...
4: Listen to me. On the
2: second try, the poison liquor your nephew Warren got it instead of me. Fine, fine. Another obstacle out of your way. After all, he had opposed you,
4: Mr. Dollar. How much do you want? I can make you financially independent. Then for the you rest set of... your
2: sights on Ronald Kenworthy, who was trying to break up the other empire you wanted to get your hands on. You even hoped that somehow I might help you. Shoot first, you said.
4: You don't understand. I was... Just what
2: plans you had for his old man and that warped, twisted brain of yours, I don't know. But I'm sure you had plans. Well, lady, now it's too late.
4: No, Mr. Dollar. No, it isn't too late.
2: Stay away from that drawer. You'd even shoot somebody down with your own hand if you thought it necessary, wouldn't you? But
4: it isn't necessary, Mr. Dollar. Huh? Are you sure it wouldn't be easier if I were just to give you... Say, a hundred thousand dollars and two hundred thousand. All right, Andrew.
3: Right here, Mrs. Van Wow,
2: wow. Well, well. Hello, Andy. Got a license for that thing? Shut up. You want me to do it now, Mrs. Van?
4: Yes, Andrew.
2: Uh,
3: what if the servants hit a shot? Hold it, Donna.
4: Don't worry, Andrew. I'll take care of things. Haven't I always for you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. She'll take care of things. While you're pulling that trigger, she'll blast you down so fast you won't know what hit you. Make it look like we killed each other and leave her in the clear. Quiet. She's got a gun in that drawer beside her and she'll use it. You hear me, Andy? I say
3: quiet. What you don't know is that she can't do without me. (laughs) But we can do without you.
2: All right, Andy, wait now. Listen, will you? Now, Mrs. Van.
4: All right, Andrew? Now.
2: Thanks, Lieutenant.
4: Oh, Lieutenant. Then you saw he was going to shoot down Mr. Dollar.
2: Yes, I oh, heard yes. too, Mrs. Van Pyton, Plenty. Oh,
4: oh no, you, you don't understand. Mr. Dollar had come up here to talk to me. I wanted to offer him a great deal more money for his work for me. I guess didn't I almost I, Mr. didn't Mr. make it. More Glad money, you keep I talking say, to him so long. Got a cough drop. Is this Buddy the air that fortune? Oh,
1: shut up. Top.
2: You heard him.
4: I beg your pardon.
2: Clever, shrewd, astute. You're just off your rocker. You'd have to be, I guess, to start a thing like this in the first place. Well, I guess by the time the estate and inheritance laws get properly applied, the Van Python Empire will be spread around the way Warren wanted it. Expense account item 10, 2890, fare and incidentals back to Hartford. Total, including fees, eleven hundred thirteen dollars forty cents. Remarks? I'm glad I'm poor. Yours, truly? Johnny Dollar.
1: our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story.
2: Next week, an insurance swindle that really backfired. The only trouble was it caught me right in the line of fire. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping